Today on Podcast by the Bay, we speak with District 13 State Senate candidate Michael Brownrigg. I think our county as a whole can be a leader for the whole state, this district. I mean, we are a microcosm of California with farm workers and tech workers and investors and teachers. We have poor and we have wealthy. And so the solutions we come up with here in this district can be leadership models for the entire state. All coming up on today's episode of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at highwaysoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com And now, another Podcast by the Bay. Welcome to Podcast by the Bay. We thank you for being with us, and we thank you for downloading this episode and for spreading the word to all your friends. And so today, we're going to continue our California State Senate candidate show and for District 13. And so today's candidate we're going to be speaking with is Michael Brownrigg. And so you actually might know Michael. He's actually one of the current Burlingame City Council members. And so we're going to get into the background of Michael and find out a lot more about his vision and what he has to say about District 13 here on the peninsula. And so once again, Podcast by the Bay does not endorse any of the candidates. We merely allow our platform so the listeners can hear the candidate's vision and to find out more about the candidates themselves. So with that, we're going to go ahead and get to the Michael Brownrigg interview. And if you have any questions, you have any feedback, please reach out to us at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at podcastbythebay is our handle or on Facebook, facebook.com slash podcastbythebay. And remember, you can listen to us anytime, 24 hours a day for free. And that's on any podcast site. That's iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Pocket Casters, any of them, we're there. So with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off. And we'll catch you on the next time of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Welcome to Podcast by Today. Uh, it is Friday, and it's early morning in Burlingame. Uh, this is a location where I my own, my original company, Liberty Realty, on Primrose. We have the honor of interviewing um, former mayor of Burlingame, uh, Michael Brownrigg. Uh, Michael Brownrigg. Uh, good morning, Patrick. Good morning to you. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for being here. This is our first series on interviewing candidates for uh, District 13, Jerry Hill, uh, uh, State Senate. Now, you know, there's something distinct about 13. You know, Michael and I had an interview in um, last year when yeah. he was mayor, and that was a, an awesome interview. Um, I've encouraged a lot of people to listen to it. We're not going to go into Michael's background um, as much as you guys would like us in the audience. We're going to encourage you to go to Podcast by the Bay and listen to it, because it, we it's a Thank good you. 30 or 40 minutes. 
Um, Michael was, I'm going to give you a little bit, he was born in Los Altos uh, from a single mother. Uh, he uh, is running for District 13 for Jerry Hill seat, which covers um, Mountain View, for, or, San, or um, San Francisco to Mountain View areas. Uh, that's a, quite a broad territory. I can see his map in his office. I'm honored to sit in this, and you can see this is a campaign headquarters, and he's ready to go. We also have a couple of other announced candidates, which is Josh Becker, Shelley Lieber, and, Shall- and Shelley Mosser. Is that how you say it? Shelley Maser. Maser, okay. Sally Lieber. And, and Sally Lieber. Uh, Sally's in Mountain View, and Josh is in Menlo Park, and Shelley's in Redwood City. So uh, it's, it's starting to be out a dynamic race. But I want to regress a little bit when I, when I interviewed Michael uh, the last time. Michael, as you know, has a foreign diplomat background. We spent some time talking, uh, talking about local politics and, and the importance of local politics. And um, as we all realize, there's a lot of gridlock back there in Washington, D.C. with the Republicans, the Democrats, whether it's the House of Representatives or whether it's, it, whether it's the Senate. We're not going to go into that. Um, Michael, my most important question to you is, why are you running? Thank you, Patrick, and I appreciate what you've done with Podcast by the Bay and bringing lots of political voices to your listeners. Um, so I'm running because I think there are some really important challenges in front of us. Uh, I have, um, I would be honored to follow in Senator Hill's footsteps, who I think has done a remarkable job, and maybe we'll um, touch on some of his work, especially with PG&E, which is so prescient and so important these days. Uh, but I'm running because I perceive um, some really important underlying shifts in our district that are beginning to push people away. So for 150 years, California has been a magnet attracting talent, um, uh, whether that's creative talent in Los Angeles or tech talent up here or investors or hardworking farm worker talent, hardworking factory talent. We have been pulling people in from around the country, in fact, around the world, uh, the best and the brightest here to California, and that's been a huge boon for our economy, for our communities. But with the cost of living um, skyrocketing, I think we face an affordability crisis, and I think we are beginning for the first time to push people away. And, um, I, you know, for as you know, for many years I was um, a, an investor and builder of small companies. And I can tell you when a company attracts talent, anything is possible. And when that company is toxic or, or can only attract weak people, then it's a company that's on its path to failure. So I want our state to continue to be a place where um, everybody can raise their kids, take care of their uh, older parents, um, have great public schools. And I just see that fraying, frankly. And, and um, it starts with the cost of housing, but it's not just the cost of housing. It's also affordable child care and accessible child care. It's affordable senior care. So when you have aging parents, uh, affordable health care, affordable transit, these are all elements, I think, that make up um, really the, this affordability crisis, as I like to call it. So that's why I'm running. Well, you know, I'm, Michael, I want to regress a little bit. I know when we talked on the interview for the mayors, we did talk about housing extensively. We did. And one of the things that um, I was pushing, I've been pushing it for a long time, um, is something that our governor is, is, is actually taking some action. I know he didn't talk to me, but I have talked to him on podcast by the paper <laughs> a short time. Um, where we're taking the unincorporated areas um, in the cities and counties and looking at it as a affordable housing uh, model. What do you think of that? 
Well, I think, um, let me just tell you what we're doing here in Burlingame, and I think it'll, you know, indicate what I, what I think in general. So, you know, our city has been, uh, for as many other cities here in the district, um, we've been a community that has stayed relatively constant from a population point of view. So over the last 50 years, our city has grown by 9%, one quarter of 1% a year. And that's one of the reasons we have um, insufficient housing around the entire district. So what our city council did with the support of our community and after a couple of years of hard work um, is we've taken the north end of our industrial area and rezoned it for mixed use and going up to five to seven stories. So as a result of that rezoning and a couple of other places that we've what's called upzoned, we foresee growing by 20% in 10 years. Imagine that, from almost flat over 50 years to growing 20% in 10 years. It's the right thing to do. It's going to be good for our community. We'll see some additional density here in the downtown. That will help our downtown become and stay will stay vibrant and, and remain vibrant as retail changes, which is something I think we all have to think about. Uh, so I feel really proud of the work that this community has done and that our council has done to set um, to really create a new neighborhood and to allow more people to be here and a good chunk of that will be affordable um, a lot of it will be market rate as well frankly we need all kinds of housing well, you know I've been in the real estate business for 40 years and, and, and one of the buzzwords that's happening around the world around the California is building below market rent housing mm -hmm. they're not building housing for sale the housing that they're building for sale is market. Um, are, are we setting ourselves up? Because obviously in, uh, the issue in supply and demand, um, I interviewed Senator Weiner and Assemblyman David Chu. And both of them said, because um, I, I equate back to that $3.5 that the governor has said right. that we need with the affordable deficit. House, The deficit. Are we building too much rental housing? And why are we not building housing for sale for for people like your teachers, your doctors, or your chiropractors, or your bank tellers. Why are we not doing that? Because the mantra seems to be expensive rental housing. And a good example, Foster City and the Saris Regis, uh, they also have the Trident out there. A one-bedroom uh, below-market rent is 2200 if you're a school teacher, 2200 is really eating into almost 50% yeah. of your income. So. What's, what's your solution on that? Well, so um, it's kind of a broad question, but let me take it in two different um, chunks. So with respect to the kind of housing we build, um, we don't have the luxury of having a lot of public land. We have a little bit of public land, and we are going to build here in Burlingame in the core of our downtown, and I'm proud of this too, we're going to build um, 132 units of affordable housing. That'll be rental housing, 54 units for seniors on fixed income, 78 for working families, uh, and that will be affordable for 55 years. So I'm, I'm proud of that work that we've done. Um, but a lot of the rezoning is privately held, and what a developer decides to do with that private redevelopment is really up to them. So what we have said is whether you build for sale or you build rental, some portion needs to be affordable or you need to pay into an affordable housing fund. Um, so we're going to let the market work it out. Uh, I think, frankly, there is such a need for all sorts of housing. There's a need for housing uh, people who are at 60% of the area median income. There's housing for the missing middle, which is often the teachers and 
uh, a lot of your government workers and your auto mechanics. I mean, um, and then there's, frankly, market rate housing. I mean, we really need it all. As I'm sure Senator Weiner said to you, the 3.5 million homes that we're short is equal to the housing deficit in the rest of the country combined. Combined, all 49 states, they don't add up to 3.5 million units. So we, we have to do everything. And I think we just need to get started is kind of our attitude. Why don't we talk about the governor's new proposal, and, and I think they equate it to the old-fashioned, the carrot and the stick. If we go back and take a look at what happened in 2008 with the redevelopment money, that which was taken away because the state was in a financial pinch. Right. And the redevelopment money, so for the listeners out there, can be used for development in the city, but it should be used for housing. Um, it's not always used for housing, but should be. Um, the governor's new proposal, if, if and correct me if I'm wrong, is is that he's thinking that I'm going to take away the tax dollars for your uh, for your transportation, so that I'm going to tell you if you don't if you don't build affordable housing, I'm going to take that money away from it. What do you think of that? Uh, so I'm not a fan of using sticks, especially when you have communities like ours, like Mountain View, like Sunnyvale, uh, like Menlo Park who are stepping up and building housing or rezoning so that housing can get built. Um, In fact, what I'd like to see, and if I were fortunate enough to be elected to Sacramento, what I will try to make happen is, um, you know, you said carrots and sticks. I don't see too many carrots. I think there should be more carrots. So I'll give you a concrete example. Here in our city, uh, well, in the county of San Mateo, over the last 10 years, the population of K-8 school kids, kindergarten through eighth grade, has grown by 10% in San Mateo County. In Burlingame, in that same period of time, the population has grown by 42%. So we have, which is great, it's young families moving into our city because we have high quality of life and we have great public schools. So we are within, you know, 50, 60, 70 kids of needing a new public school. And when we bring in additional residents, that will probably push us over the top. So we need to start thinking about where does the next school go? How do we accommodate these families? So wouldn't it be nice if the state had some low-cost or no-cost infrastructure loans for communities like ours to invest in schools or invest in parks or invest in infrastructure so that, in, so that when I go to our residents, who are not really keen on density, let's be clear, they're not you know, jumping up and down with the thought of extra traffic and parking. You know, All politicians understand that. And yet this is something I think we have to do for the health of our economy. So when I go to them, when I go to Patrick Sullivan and I say, Patrick, you know, I know you're not really that excited about it, but we're going to add uh, you know, people and we're going to try to do it in a way that doesn't impact you too much, but we're going to do it. Oh, and then next year I come back and say, oh, by the way, Patrick, because we added these people, now we need an extra parcel tax, you know, to fund the schools, or we need an extra extra bond to pay for, you know, pipes and stuff. So it's it, that's a tough sell to your local residents. And, what you know, the reason that this has been slow to happen is because there has been some local resistance. So, in other words, let's get the state on the side of incenting and rewarding cities that are stepping up. Well, this dovetails into another question. Uh, Most of the cities around with the expansion of the growth need more schools. Uh, We in Foster City um, are are working on a project which was Charter Square. We're not going to get into the political end of that. That's your... Um, That's that's our thing, but we we, we had that same growth you had. Yeah. Um, One of the things that we're passionate, and the governor's passionate about it, and I think you're passionate about it, is early childhood learning. Yeah. Um, when we look at the situation with your Apple, your Google, and your Facebook, 
Uh, and some of the perks that they are giving the people that work for them are wonderful. Uh, those perks are not necessarily offered to the average school teacher or to the average worker or middle class worker or lower middle class worker. How can we have more equity with early uh, schoolhood learning? I know um, uh, Assemblyman Kevin Mullins is interested in it. Assemblyman David Chu is interested in it. So uh, should there be a push with the state to provide some more uh, early childhood uh, and preschool stuff available for a lot of people, not just because of their economic situation, because it might be the right thing to do? And the answer is yes. Um, I think that I, I'd say that with two, two additional thoughts. One, I think there's a difference between zero to three and four and five-year-olds. Um, we have a wonderful first five program here in San Mateo County. They're doing a ton of great work thinking about how we provide both, but those two are different things. So four or five is sort of pre-K. Zero three is childcare, And so those are two different things. And what we're really short on is facilities. So we need to find more facilities. And I think um, our corporate residents uh, can be a part of helping us find and fund facilities. Um, I think we have to have a master plan where we go into you know, those uh, companies with a pretty specific ask. But my um, experience has been, if it's reasonable, uh, you know, that these, these corporations do want to be good citizens. So I think the other thing is, as your question implies, uh, Patrick, is lean into what the government or the governor is suggesting. Clearly, he has a passion for early childhood. I've got to see what he has in mind. Um, I do think that anytime we talk about um, expanding services, we have to figure out how we're going to pay for them. And I don't think that's, uh, you know, I think that's something you just have to focus on. Um, and so, for example, in pre-K, uh, there's a number of people of means who already have their children in preschool, whether it's through a church group or a nonprofit. Um, and so I think we're there where, you know, because there's already um, individual residents who are, who are taking care of the pre-K, you know, I think where we want to focus is on the families who can't afford pre-K. In other words, why would we want to um, subsidize people who are already providing pre-K, right? So, or at least we need to think about it. So I just, um, that's always going to be the issue you have to ask is where those funds come from where. Well, you know, you guys are honored uh, from what I understand that Facebook just acquired where the old movie or the old drive-in is. Yep. Um, and I know it's in some preliminary stages, so I don't want to put you in a position that you can't talk about it. Um, but do you think uh, some of those questions that we just talked about are, are, are um, issues that maybe that can be negotiated between uh, Burlingame, the city, the city of Burlingame? And I'm only using that as a model to say that maybe that's what we need to do, a little bit more hard. Uh, um, I, I know you're honored to have Facebook here, and it's, yeah. and it's a great piece of land. So what's, what's your thoughts? Well, so we are pleased to welcome Facebook to Burlingame. It is our first large tech company. We have not had something like this in our city before. Our city's underlying economy has been a lot of small business. It's been Sutter Health with a you know modern $600 million hospital they built about a decade ago. And then it's been a lot of uh, airport-related businesses like hotels. So we haven't really had one big commercial tenant like this. So this will change for us a little bit. Um, the reality is our negotiation occurred with the builder of the project, not with Facebook, because Facebook wasn't part of the picture when this project was entitled. Um, maybe life would have been a little different if we had known it was going to be Facebook. 
But what I will say, having spoken to senior leadership at Facebook, is they are committed to our community. They do want to lean in, whether it's shuttle service so that they don't have as many people on the street, or it's child care. They want to lean in. And the question is, how do we work together? I will say that I think for all of our cities, most of whom are smaller, um, you know, I think, I think we should start sharing experiences about how to work with large corporate residents because there's, I have a certain feeling in discussions with other elected officials that there's you know, a bit of reinventing the wheel every time a new big company moves into a new small city. And I think sharing some of that experience, frankly, would be helpful. Well, you know, we at Podcast by the Bay at, at last year did a series of interviewing mayors. We interviewed 16. We, we won't tell you what cities that were not available, but, and, and you guys can look on podcasts. But I want you to, to, to really learn uh, to collaborate. I learned so many things from talking with you, Michael. I mean, what, the opportunity to find out you've been a foreign diplomat and the, the name Burlingame and the connection with Abraham Lincoln was fascinating. Thank you. Fascinating. Yeah. So, but I, I had an opportunity to talk to 16 different mayors, and they all have different housing policies. Yeah. Uh, and um, whether we look at South San Francisco that's got Genentech, right. or whether we go down the Menlo Park and you got Google or whatever it was. Facebook. Facebook. We need to see some more collaboration with city managers and mayors to say, how do we negotiate with Facebook or Google or Starbucks? Or I concur, Patrick. I yeah. concur. I think that's something that we just, it's a phenomenon we haven't really confronted before. Um, we are, all of us, um, proud city leaders, and we don't want other people telling us what to do. On the other hand, I think one of the great things about San Mateo County, and I would say big part of Santa Clara County, is that we don't have one large city that throws its weight around. We don't have San Francisco throwing its weight around. We don't have San Jose. So I think our cities and our county, and I have to tip my hat to county leadership, are beginning to pull us together and help us talk regionally about issues, whether it's sea level rise and a tip of the hat to Dave Pine for the work he's done there, or it's first five, or I would add to the list, maybe we should start talking collectively about how we negotiate with large corporate citizens. Well, I think you brought, that brings into uh, another passion of mine and a passion for everybody in the peninsula, and that's transportation. Mm -hmm. um, as I mentioned to you last time, and I mentioned to uh, Senator Weiner and to the mayors, um, the only thing we're really proud about, at least in San Mateo County, is the Clipper card. Um, I listen to so much talk of people on the dissatisfaction with our lack of public transportation system. Um, we've all... BART fights for their same federal and state tax dollars, Sam Tram does. How can we make uh, our transit system more efficient? It's my belief, maybe I'm wrong on it. Um, I, I'll doubt be it. I doubt it. All right, thank you, Michael. <laughs> then we need a transit district. We need something. I, I was listening to NPR this morning, mm -hmm. and they were talking about the people that get up at 5 in the morning to take public transportation yeah. because they want to avoid it. And I was admirable, whether they worked on BART or whether they were an attorney or whatever it was. Yeah. But the lack of connection between Caltrain's or the bus system, yeah. how, can, how can we embrace to make that a more efficient system because the the predominant problem right now is can't get the single driver out of the car we yeah, just can't right so you know it is uh, hard problems stay unsolved because they're hard problems right so we have to and and um like so many things you probably can't tackle it all at once you have to do it bit by bit so 
congratulations to uh, Caltrain for finding a way to get electrified. That'll significantly increase um, both speed so and quantity of trains. So I think, you know, whenever we're looking at transit, and let's talk about public transit and then maybe separately about the roads, because there's plenty of my residents, our residents, our citizens, our neighbors, who are as upset or even more upset about the roads as they are about public transit. But let's focus first on public transit. So, um, you know, I've lived around the world in, really ro- in areas with really robust public transit, Hong Kong being a great example. And, and there you have very wealthy people riding public transit. And the reason is it's easy. And it's easy because there's not much headway. In other words, if you miss a bus or you miss a train, you don't wait long before the next one comes along. And people are willing to do that. What people get frustrated by is showing up at the bus stop and missing a bus and being told you got to wait 45 minutes for the next one. They're not going to do that. Time is too precious for most people. So we have to find a way to reduce headway. So electrification of Caltrain is a great way to do that. Ultimately, if BART can come around the bay, that will help. But the other thing that we need to to look at, and I think, again, Hong Kong can provide a model, is small minibuses. So Hong Kong is full of small 10, 12-seater minibuses moving all the time that help you go from the train stop to your home, to your neighborhood, and really close because there's so many of them. And again, um, lots and lots of regular people and even wealthy people ride it because it's convenient. You don't have to park. It's not expensive and so on. So, so I think public transit is we have to focus on more frequency and reducing headway and then helping with shuttle service in all of our cities so that it's easy to do them first mile, last mile. Now, we've, we've adopted here in Burlingame Line Bike, which is also a kind of cool first mile, last mile solution, and that's been robust. But let's be honest, there are plenty of people who don't want to get on a bike and ride uphill. So it's not a solution for everybody. In terms of traffic, first of all, your premise is exactly right. If we improve transit, and frankly, if we build more housing, traffic will be reduced. I know that that is counterintuitive to some people. They think more housing means more traffic. Actually, it's it's the people driving across 92 and 101 to get to their homes in Danville and Modesto and wherever that are clogging the highways. Well, here's, so, a, here's a unique situation. We're also happy to see those Google buses or the Apple right. buses on there and saying that, you know, they're, they're um, taking 120 80, people. Right, 100 people off the road. Well, the sad thing is I found out, and I, I haven't authenticated it, but I've inside stuff, is that their buses are half filled. Oh. Okay. Now... One of the things, I'm just going to use a unique case in Foster City. Mm-hmm. Uh, Foster City has the PJC thing, which uh, facilitates thousands and thousands of people in the Bay Area uh, for physical health care and cultural thing. One of the sad things for the PJC thing is, is that most of the people that work for them live in the East Bay. Mm-hmm. So they have a challenge to get over traffic-wise. Mm-hmm. Now, I thought a good model would be, why don't you approach Facebook or Google and say, hey, you're over in that area, why don't you bring it? But what I understand, uh, two issues, one's a legal issue, and the other is maybe they'll be talking something secret about Facebook or Apple. So how can we, you know, you, you, you're working with a positive yeah. of filling up a bus, it's halfway filled, right. so we're halfway solving the problem. Right. How can we get government and private things to to get beyond that because the intent is good. Yeah. But the bus is half filled. Well, so... Like the picture is half full. Right. 
so you know, let's applaud having 60 people off the highway, right? If it's not 120, at least it's 60. And then let's lean into um, both incenting and sometimes jawboning these corporations to do a better job getting their their uh, employees to use the buses and use transit. I know from our discussions with Facebook that they are really committed to making sure people are on some form of transit. And I... Um, I mean, you are quoting me because I'm saying this out loud, but my, I want to say that something like 40 or 45% of their employees arrive not in an automobile. So that's great. Now, can we get the number up? We can you know, we can and we should. I think it's a matter of working closely uh, with groups, with the specific companies, with groups like Silicon Valley Leadership Group, which has been a real thought leader for the entire Bay Area in terms of partnering companies and government people, putting us all in the same room, making us talk about these issues. I'll tell you another thing I'm sort of intrigued by is Mayor Hindi's idea of hovercraft, which I think could be really cool in terms of moving people across the bay. I mean, that's still in the future and needs to be developed. But Well, stay tuned. We interviewed Mr. Mayor Sam Hindi just about a week, less than a week ago, and we'll go live on talking about hovercraft. So that is exciting. Yeah, I think so. Great. I think it's actually a really cool idea. You know, and that sure avoids the dredging and everything else. Exactly. Well, I, I'm not sure that you listen to it. I know you, we have so many episodes up there, but we interviewed a, uh, a former city council and mayor, Dave Tanner. Mm-hmm. Now, Dave Tanner um, is a very progressive thinker. He uh, worked closely, and he, we have a, a link to it. In the Tamperean Shopping Center, eventually is going to be leveled. Okay. He came up with the idea of a high-speed rail going those areas. So I encourage you to look at it. Um, we'll will. probably have an updated video on it. He brought it to the Bay Area Council of Cities. I don't know how, whether it bombed or went down. Um, well, but I would what's, encourage, the, what's the notion that you do um, what with Tanferin? Um, well, Tanferin's going to be leveled. It's an yeah. Australian group. And he wants to do a 380 connection with a monorail system or high-speed rail to all of those cities surrounding that bring in all the traffic in the morning. So oh, I'd encourage you to look at it. Um, obviously, he's looking to get some funding, or, or but it's a good idea. Okay. Because I, you know, you just brought up the idea of what you see in Japan mm-hmm. or what you see in, in other um, progressive countries. That yeah. we're, we're, we're behind the time. Yeah, and we, we are. And we need to... Um, we, we definitely are. And we definitely need to continue making significant investments around the Bay Area to um, improve uh, transit. Uh, you know, the the next thing is, is going to dovetail in, into something, and I know that you're passionate about it, and a lot of people across the state and the county and the city, um, especially San Francisco and San Mateo County, um, and that's the homelessness um, that, that we're experiencing on the peninsula. Um, as as I, my eyes are open, and I know yours are too, Michael, um, we see homelessness in San Mateo, Burlingame, um, San Francisco in overabundance. How can we deal with the homelessness? Um, I know um, our governor, before when he was mayor, he had a proposal in San Francisco to deal with the homelessness. Um, and now uh, Mayor London Bree is trying to uh, implement something. How do you think in San Mateo County or in the state we should approach the homelessness? Um, currently, San Mateo County, and, 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 and I'm, my hat's kind of partially off to them, they, they're doing a survey, a volunteering on how much. Um, I know part of their homeless study um, said that it, it hadn't increased. Well, I, I I probably would differ with that, but I don't have any necessarily hardcore facts with that. Mm-hmm. How can we deal with the homelessness? So I think there's two um, different parts to that. So one, I think 
we, you know, this gets back to housing. So we need to start housing and we need to start creating more alternatives uh, for housing. And, and by the way, something that's very important to me is it's not just building housing, but it's also preserving housing that is today de facto affordable. And that is also important. Um, and we can talk about it later, but but I think it's really important that we both maintain the existing stock of affordable housing and we add to the stock of housing. So when I tell residents, if you see somebody, if you see an RV parked in front of Stanford Stadium, those are not people waiting for tickets or waiting to get into the show. Those are working families. And you know they're working because if they weren't working, they wouldn't live in such a high-cost neighborhood. They'd drive somewhere else. So these are families that are going to work, they're showering in the gym or they're showering at work, they have kids often, and that's not a housing program. So this, this really is an issue. And, and I think of them as homeless in as much as they don't have a permanent home. And so that is an area to focus on. How do we help working families get into permanent housing and get out of the RV or get out of the uh, automobile? Now, folks who are actually on the street and homeless there, I think there's just a number of social services we have to look at. There is definitely a mental health angle. We need to look at that and help folks. And I agree with you, this is a phenomenon. We certainly see it here in Burlingame um, because what happens is a number of people get on BART. BART stops running. They get off the BART. They find themselves in Millbrae or Burlingame, and we wind up having to take care of them. And when you take somebody to the emergency room off the street, it's really expensive. So... This is not just a moral issue, it's also a practical issue for taxpayers. How do we help people have housing and have the support services they need so they don't go to our emergency rooms and they don't, you know, it's just not a productive system. I'm right? glad you brought that up because I, I would have been told that some 20 to 30 percent of the calls are homeless people. Yeah. 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 So and, and that I, does and, tax our cities. And yeah. And, I think and, and, you know, we are obliged and we always will help people who need help and, and um but the reality is a lot of times the calls are because they want to be somewhere warm and have a, a meal, you know, and they wind up doing that in the emergency room. And that's just expensive. Okay. Um, two weeks ago, I'm going to digress a little bit. Uh, there was a... And I want to be really clear. Okay. So when I say it's expensive, it is expensive. It's not that we shouldn't provide the services. It's just there's much more efficient ways to do it and help people, you know, um, be in supportive places where they can get the help they need and not be homeless and also not be in the emergency room. I want to be clear. It's not that I don't think we should be helping people. We absolutely should, but there's better ways to do it. Okay. Um, this is the time for you to brag about yourself and why somebody should cast that ballot for you for Senate. And uh, you did mention, uh, and I followed Jerry Hill um, from the time he was a city council person to his anti-smoking. Uh, we're hoping to have him on podcast by the Bay for a wrap-up. Mm -hmm. What do you think you can do? to fill those shoes of Jerry Hill? Well, um, nobody can fill the shoes of Jerry Hill, but, um, but I do think I'm the best qualified of the candidates to do so, and I'll tell you quickly why. Um, I have almost 30 years of public service, so I have been committed to public service for most of my life, whether that was my 12 years as a U.S. diplomat serving in Damascus and in Hong Kong and in Washington, or more recently here in Burlingame, you know, eight years on the Planning Commission, nine years on City Council, twice as mayor. So I have a lot of experience bringing people together, negotiating agreements that are win-win for people, and helping all of us move forward. Um, 
And that's not easy. I think there's a, some, a sense sometimes that government is easy. Anybody can do it. Uh, you know, it's not hard. And that's just not true. I mean, governing is a skill just like business, just like nonprofits. Um, I also have this kind of unique background of having spent 20 years in the private sector, helping small companies grow, working with management teams. You know, I have sat up late at night worrying about making payroll. There is almost nothing more stressful than worrying about making payroll. So I have a really deep appreciation for small business and for entrepreneurs. And I've helped them. Um, I think that the best programs are ones that are win-win. And I think that a lot of what we need to do going forward are, uh, I think a lot of how we work can be a partnership between government and the private sector. And I think I have sort of unique skills in, in looking at that. Um, you know, I, I would ask for people's vote. Um, I'd ask people to look at my resume. I, I have a track record of getting tough things done here in this city. Um, I'm proud also of the work that I've done on the um, South Bay Waste Management, which fondly called the Garbage Board, where 12 cities come together and under our collective leadership, we have set a goal of zero landfill. So we're starting a pilot now that will take organic waste out of your black trash can and turn it into biogas, so clean energy, as opposed to going to landfill where it turns into methane. And that's something that you know we've done as a, as a region. I think our county as a whole can be a leader for the whole state, this district. I mean, we are a microcosm of California with farm workers and tech workers and investors and teachers. We have poor and we have wealthy. And so the solutions we come up with here in this district can be leadership models for the entire state. Well, on behalf of Podcast by the Bay, Michael, we thank you very much for, for all your dedication to public service. We wish you the best of luck in your upcoming uh, race for the Senate uh, District 13. Thank and you. thanks again for thank, the time. Thank you, Patrick, very much, and to your listener. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podcast by the Bay. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at HighwaySoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.Liberty-RealtyInvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. All material is property and copyrighted by Podcast by the Bay, but does not necessarily reflect the views of Podcast by the Bay. For sponsorship opportunities, please contact us by email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Stay tuned.